podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 15th of February. Hope you're all having a very pleasant day. It's Champions League action again tonight. We had two games last night. Paris Saint-Germain nil, Bayern Munich won in the bigger of the two ties. That game taking place in Paris. So a massive blow for PSG to lose at home. And not just lose at home, but be pretty comprehensively outplayed as well. Bayern had more possession. They had more chances. They had more shots. They they forced more saves from Donnarumma. They they felt comfortable in the game as well. 
Byron lined up with Jan Sommer filling in in goal because Manuel Neuer is out with a broken leg. And Sommer played very well, made a couple of big saves in the game. Havard, Upamecano and Matthias De Ligt as a back three. Zhao Canseo and Kingsley Coleman acting as wing-backs. Kimmich and Goretzka as a double pivot. Sane Musiala behind Chupa Moting. Uh, I saw somebody ponder yesterday, is Chupa Moting the worst player to have this good a career? He's probably got to be right up there. For PSG, it was Donnarumma in goal. A back four of Hakimi, Marquinhos, Ramos and Mendes. There's multiple flaws with that plan. Number one, Ramos. Number two, Hakimi and Mendes are wingbacks. They're not sent. They're not full fullbacks. Now, Hakimi had a great World Cup as a fullback and has improved hugely defensively. But when you ask him to be that player, you lose out what makes him truly special. I think he's so much better as a wing-back. For me, PSG should be playing a back three. Now, when Milan Skriniar arrives in the summer, I think they would do well to go and find themselves another centre-back, someone who's a good ball carrier, left-footed and a good ball carrier, a better version of Presnel Kimbembe, and go Skriniar, Marquinhos, that person, and whoever that is, whether it's Bastoni, if they could get him, Gvardiol, if they could get him, Incapié, even Evan and Dicke would be a good fit. Then push Hakimi and Mendes forward as wing-backs, play Verratti with an aggressive dynamic ball winner. Someone like Manu Kone wouldn't cost the world. He'd be a really good fit there. And then you go Messi and Mbappe off a proper number nine. They need a number nine. You're not going to win the Champions League with Neymar. Simple as that. You're just not going to win the Champions League with Neymar. And come this summer, the first thing they need to do is find a new home for Neymar. Get yourself a number nine. We've seen in the past Mbappe works best with a nine. He works best with Giroud. You could try and find a Giroud type, or you could look for somebody who's more of a workhorse, more of a, facilit- a facilitator, like a Firmino type. Now, you could get somebody who's a cross between the pair, like an Ivan Tony. Again, I know he's not the fanciest of names, and I, I think many would scoff if PSG dropped 50 million on Ivan Tony, but I guarantee you he would get quite a bit out of Messi and Mbappe having him do a lot of the donkey work for those two. And then you'd still have a lot of squad depth. Well, last night they play Zaire Emery, Verratti, Pereira and Soler. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish with that midfield. That's not a functional midfield, but I mean, incredible to see Warren Zaire Emery playing at 16 in the Champions League and not looking out of place like he had a a solid game. Uh, Mbappe started on the bench with Messi and Neymar up front, which was never, ever going to work. Neymar had, I think, three big chances in the game, missed them all. I didn't think he played well at all, but that is very, very typical of Neymar. Um, This PSG team, they're just weird. They are just weird. Like, you bring Kimbembe... Mbappe, Ruiz, and Vitinha off the bench. There's no width. Like, everything's so forced through the middle, which just isn't really going to work against a Bayern team set up the way they are. 
it's a great win for Bayern away from home. It's a bit of a marker as well to let others know like we can go to the the best of the best and win away from home. Forget you having to come to Munich. We'll go to your place and beat you. That's that's going to resonate around Europe as well. A number of teams will have looked at that and thought, no, if Bayern are winning big games away from home, they're really serious about winning this this year. Uh, AC Milan won Tottenham nil in the other game. Brahim Diaz with the only goal of the game on seven minutes. Um, I should have pointed out it was, it was Kingsley Coleman scored the only goal of the PSG Bayern game on 53 minutes. Benji Pavard was sent off in stoppage time, so he'll miss the second leg. Uh, they'll be hopeful they'll have Masraoui or somebody back, or they might have to change shape for the second leg. Um, Diaz scores the only goal of the game. Tottenham looked really flat. Their front three just never got into the game. Youngman Son's having a dreadful season. Kulosevsky and Harry Kane ran into a wall called Malik Thio, who was at Schalke, came through as they were going through that complete meltdown. Milan picked him up for like 7 million, and the kid looks like he's going to be a star. 21, big, strong, athletic, aggressive, good on the ball. I remember when he first came through at Schalke, a lot of Schalke fans said he was a a faster, more talented Joel Matip. I think he's got a bit more strength to him as well than Matip has ever really had. But he's got that same type of build and languid movement. That Milan team is is decent. It's decent. There's there's plenty of talent there, and you've got the likes of Fikayo Tomori to come back into it as well. Now, unfortunately, when he comes back in, it may well be that Thiago drops out and they go back to a back four. But I'd really like to see Kalulu, Tomore, and Thiago as a three and see how that works. Um, Teo Hernandez is ideal as a wing back. Salamaker's less so. That's one area they'd have to address if they wanted to stick with a back three permanently. And I wouldn't be hugely keen on Krunic in midfield. But, you know, Tonali suits well in a double pivot. Leao, Giroud, it would be really nice if the real if the real Charles de Ketelier were to turn up this season and make that other spot his own. But Brahim Diaz has plenty of talent. His issue has never been talent. It's always been consistency. Uh, we have two games tonight then. Club Bruges against Benfica and Dortmund against Chelsea. So Club Bruges were one of the surprise packages of the group stage to begin with. Uh, in Group B, they finished second behind Porto, ahead of Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid. If you remember, they started off really well. They beat Leverkusen, then they hammered Porto 4-0 away from home. Then they beat Atletico Madrid 2-0 at home. They went to Madrid and drew 0-0. Then they got spanked at home by Porto. And then they played at a nil-nil draw in Leverkusen. Um, but they will be they will be managed tonight by Scott Parker, which just is is such a strange, strange thing that Scotty Two Coats is managing in the Champions League, considering he is 
garbage. He is absolutely dreadful. And, uh, you know, since taking over, I'm not sure how well they've done, but I I just don't imagine he's filling anybody with any kind of, um, any kind of self-belief. Considering what he did to those poor Bournemouth players before leaving. Let's see. When did he take over? Uh, Scotty Tuchel's. I will give him credit in that I, I do like the fact that he's gone abroad and he's taken that gamble. Uh, he took over on the 31st of December. So how have Bruges done? Uh, his first game, they lost 3-1 to Genk. Then they drew 1-1 with Anderlecht. Drew 1-1 with STVV. Drew 2-2 at home to 10-man Charleroi. Uh, they beat Zulte 2-1 away. Zulte were, went down to 10 men late in the game, but they were already 2-1 up, so that's fine. Uh, drew 0-0 away to Antwerp and drew 1-1 at home to Union St. Gilles. So one win, one defeat, and one, two, three, four, five draws for Mr. Tuchel's. Uh His team remained fourth where they were when he took over. Seems less than ideal. Seems less than ideal that they are where they are, but you know, it is what it is. Um, anyway, they take on Benfica tonight. Benfica are having an excellent season. They are top of the Portuguese league and they are looking more and more potent as the weeks go by. Um, this past weekend, apparently they didn't play. Odd. They beat Casapia 3-0 in their last game. That was on Saturday the 4th. Prior to that, they beat Aruka 3-0 away. They're five points clear at the top. They've won four in a row in the league. They've only lost once this season. 51 goals scored, only 12 goals conceded. They've got a team full of exciting players. And Goncalo Ramos had an, is having an outstanding season. They did obviously lose Enzo Fernandez, which is a huge blow because he was absolutely vital to everything they were doing. But Florentino Luis is having a great season in midfield for them. Goncalo Guedes has hit the ground running. They added Andreas Schreldrup and Casper Tengstead in January, both very, very exciting players. They've got maybe the best young centre-back in Europe, the best, say, under-20 centre-back in Europe in Antonio Silva. Um, you th- you would have to say they're favourites to go through. They topped their group a- ahead of Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus uh, going unbeaten through the group. 
you would have to make them favourites, I think, to advance from that tie. And and especially tonight, I think I'd make them favourites to win that game, even away from home. Uh, Dortmund against Chelsea then. Chelsea topped their group. That was Group E, ahead of Milan, Salzburg and Zagreb. Dortmund finished second in their group, behind Man City, ahead of Sevilla and Copenhagen. As we know, Chelsea are having a fairly disastrous league campaign. Uh, can't really score too many goals. Can't do much of anything. But they spent a lot of money, so there's that. Uh, whereas Dortmund are in great form domestically. They've won five in a row. They're third in the league. They're only three points off top. They have massively turned their season around because things were looking really sketchy for them earlier in the year. Compare the fact they've lost six games to Bayern's one defeat this season in the league, but Bayern have drawn seven and Dortmund have only drawn one. So Dortmund, win or lose, they they don't really do the draws. Um, I fancy Dortmund to win tonight. I don't know if I fancy them to win the let win the tie, but I do fancy them to win tonight. Chelsea just, they don't look right. They don't look like a team because they're not a team. They're a group of expensive individuals thrown together by the whims of an idiot. Somebody really needed to sit Todd Bowley down. And the thing is, more and more stuff starts coming out about things that Bowley says and does. And all of it just makes him look like a bigger buffoon. The things he says behind closed doors that people just can't believe that their ears are hearing. He he just seems like an idiot. Now, he's not an idiot in, in, in real terms because obviously he's a very successful businessman who's made an awful lot of money. But in football terms, in football terms, he is an idiot, an imbecile. We also have a massive game in the Premier League tonight, first versus second, as Arsenal play host to Manchester City. The Gunners are top. City have closed the gap on them a little bit. They're three points behind. Arsenal do have a game in hand, but of course, if City win tonight, they will go top. And while Arsenal will have that game in hand, Arsenal still have to go to the Etihad. So victory tonight for City, I think very much puts the title in their hands. Even a draw, I think tonight puts it in City's hands because if it's a three-point gap, even with that game in hand, the fact that they have to go to the Emirates, I would expect City to beat Arsenal at the Emirates. That puts it back level with Arsenal having a game in hand. I just, I feel like you would trust City an awful lot more over a 15 or 16 game stretch than you would trust Arsenal. You've also got the fact that Arsenal have to go to St. James's where they struggled last season. They've got to go to Anfield where they always struggle. City have been to both of those places. Now they still have to play both those teams at home, Newcastle and Liverpool, but you'd rather play them at home than away. Considering those are probably the two clubs that rely the most on the atmosphere in big games. I I just feel like this is setting up for City to win their third title in a row. I think should they win tonight, it it we may well see Arsenal have a continued wobble. We've seen them lose to Everton. 
We've seen them draw with Brentford, a game they really should have lost. Brentford had, I know Brentford's goal was controversial, but Brentford had a couple of other really good chances. Ivan Tony should have scored in the first half uh, in that one and, and should have had a second goal in the second half before he managed to actually score. So I do feel like Arsenal are starting to just wobble a little bit. And I think if City beat them, it might compound that. We might see them go on a little bit of a bad stretch here. Um, I am looking forward to this game. I think this is the game of the night without question. We look at the Premier League injury report. Uh, Arsenal, Gabriel Jesus still out. Not expected back till early March. Emil Smith-Rowe still out. Expected back by the end of this month. Reese Nelson could make the bench tonight. Uh, Mohamed Elneny, probably season over for him after surgery. City have doubts over Erling Haaland. I don't think it would be a bad thing for City if Haaland missed the game tonight. I think they might be better off with Julian Alvarez up front tonight, away from home against the team who are going to want to dominate the ball. Now, with that said, Haaland in a counter-attacking setup could be devastating. Could be absolutely devastating. Uh, John Stones is definitely out for City, but Ruben Diaz is a significantly better centre-back anyway, so that's not a huge blow. I will be interested to see if City go with that same shape that they played at the weekend, that kind of three-box midfield three. There's a bit of arrogance about that, and I don't know that going away to Arsenal and trying to play that way is the best idea. You could very much leave yourself too exposed at the back. Arsenal are great at finding space and punishing space. I do think it's shaping up to be a really good game. I think there's really interesting individual battles all over the pitch. If we consider just the midfield, Arsenal's midfield three is generally Odegaard, Partey, Xhaka. If City play a three, it's De Bruyne, against Xhaka. That's going to force Xhaka into a lot more defensive work than he has been doing this season. It's going to force him to track a lot more. It's going to force him to tackle a lot more. And when he starts to tackle, that's when bad things happen for him. Partey against Rodri. Partey has been very good this season. Rodri's the best holding midfielder, I would say, in world football right now. That one should be interesting. And then the other one is Odegaard against Gundogan. Now, Odegaard's been outstanding this season, arguably in the conversation for Footballer of the Year. But his defensive work leaves a lot to be desired. Gundogan's defensive work is exceptional. But his real superpower is his ability to time runs into the opposition box and get there completely unnoticed. And Odegaard is going to have to be hyper-vigilant to those runs. Now, my big question marks for City are, what do they do at the back? I think they'd be best off playing Nathan Aki as a left-back with Laporte and Diaz and Walker as the right-back. Because I think you've got to try and match up against Bukayo Saka. I don't think you can play that back three and leave Saka with loads of space. 
I think you've got to try and shut him down early and often and aggressively and be physical with him. Now, he's a very strong player, but I do think you can kick him out of games a little bit. I'm not I'm not suggesting that teams should set out to kick him out of games, but I do think it's a possibility. And I think it's something City should maybe look at tonight because I think if you take Saka out, Arsenal are nowhere near the same calibre of team. Walker against Martinelli is an interesting battle. Walker is one of the few fullbacks with the pace to match Martinelli, but Walker doesn't like turning left shoulder and Martinelli loves to drive in field. So that could be interesting. And then the movement of Eddie and Ketia against those two City centre-backs who are very, very good, but not the quickest. That could be interesting. At the other end of the field, then, it all depends on what what City go with. Um, I, I would be playing Bernardo Silva on the right, largely to, to kind of counter the attacking work of Zinchenko and then punish that when Zinchenko commits to go to go too far forward. On the other side, I think Foden has to come back in. Grealish has been really poor. Foden will cause far more trouble for Ben White than Jack Grealish does. And then you get Haaland against, if it's Haaland, which I assume it will be, you get Haaland against Saliba and Gabriel. Gabriel is a good defender with a a habit, we'll call it, of making silly decisions and especially dragging out of people, trying to grab hold of them and wrestle them a little bit. As big and strong as Haaland is, he's very adept at falling over and winning penalties and free kicks. So watch out for that. Haaland against Saliba is what I really want to see because Saliba's gotten an awful lot of hype this season and he's been compared with the likes of Van Dijk. And Ivan Tony showed at the weekend that Saliba is not ready for those conversations and is a long way from those conversations. I'd be interested to see how, how he matches up against Haaland. He has the size and the strength, but he doesn't necessarily play his size. I mean, Ivan Tony is smaller than him, and Ivan Tony bullied him like he was a little child. Haaland is a different level of physical beast. Now, he's not as good as Tony in the air, but he does have more strength, more size. I think that's a fascinating battle. Now, if it's Alvarez, I think that creates its own problem because he's got quick feet. He's good at shifting the ball. He is an unbelievably willing presser. And I don't think those two Arsenal centre-backs enjoy being under pressure. They're both very good on the ball, but I don't think they enjoy being pressed relentlessly. And if it's a front three of Bernardo, Alvarez and Foden, I don't think Arsenal's backline will particularly enjoy trying to play through that press. I think this is going to be a really good game. I think it will play a massive role in the title, obviously. We're not yet at title race stage. For me, a title race doesn't really start until there's 10 games left and you've got to be within three points of each other. We'll see what happens this season. But for now things are shaping up for these two teams to go head-to-head the rest of the way. If if Arsenal can win tonight, I, I think the psychological boost they will get from that. City are like zombies. They will continue to hunt you down. But the boost that Arsenal could get if they were to win tonight 
would be seismic. They should have beaten City last season at the Emirates, but were done by a couple of dodgy refereeing decisions. Off the back of a questionable refereeing decision against Brentford and Arteta crying quite a lot about it, it'll be interesting to see if there's any questionable calls tonight and which way they go. We know Pep is always ready to cry about anything he sees as harming his team. He thought Arteta well. So it'll be interesting to see which of them comes out of tonight's game with something to moan about. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have a run through the lower leagues because there's not a whole lot to talk about today. We've got a bit of news on Jesse Marsh, so we'll see you then. Right, welcome back. So, Jeremy Wilson in the Telegraph is reporting big news, and that is that Grimsby fans will be allowed to bring their inflatable mascot, Harry the Haddock, to the FA Cup game at the weekend. Um, Oh no, he's also got something else here. Talks between Southampton and Jesse Marsh have broken down. Club not keen on a long-term contract given current situation. Ruben Sellers to take the Chelsea game and clubs still see him as a viable long-term option, potentially with a more experienced coach. Ruben Sellers is far from ready for this job. He has no experience. He's been an assistant for a long time. He was an assistant at the age of 27 with Shinnik Yaroslav in Russia. Then he was an assistant with Aris in Greece. He was an an assistant with Neftchi Baku in Azerbaijan. He was an assistant with Quarabeg, also in Azerbaijan. He was an assistant with AGF in Denmark. He was the manager of Valencia's under-18 team for a very brief time. Then he was an assistant with Copenhagen. And he's been the assistant at Southampton since the summer. Um, He's worked under a lot of different managers, many of whom I've never heard of. They're not managers that would be known to those of us who don't pay close attention to, you know, the Azerbaijani league. But Jess Torup, he was assistant to him. Um, He got sacked as manager of Copenhagen. He was assistant to Ralph Hassan, who he got sacked. So, you know, he's worked under some questionable managers, some strange managers. Don't know a lot about the others. Don't know anything about some of them. But, uh, yeah, I I just don't think that's the type of guy you can throw into a Premier League job when this team is facing relegation. Really doesn't seem like it will be a wise decision. You've got to go back to Jesse Marsh and just say, look, we'll do 18 months, but if you keep us up, we'll convert that to three three and a half years. 
And if you want to leave after the season, if we go down, fair enough. No hard feelings. Marsh, like I said, wouldn't have been my choice to begin with. I think Nuno, Nuno Espirito Santo is the is the one I would go for. I think he's the type that can can drag a team to to results with his more pragmatic approach to football. Uh, Guy is informing me that has informed me that many of the many of the bookmakers paid out on Jesse Marsh to take the Southampton job. So they've all lost a fortune. So congrats to them on that. Uh, he also said that Steve Bruce is high on one of the bookmakers' websites to get the job, which would just be the most appalling thing possible for any Southampton fan. Uh, so, yeah, that one will rumble on. Uh, the Leeds one is rumbling on. Nuno is, is linked to that one, but it's I think it's a short-term deal they're looking at. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, there's some reports today that Tottenham could be subject to a takeover bid. Um, they have been linked to a takeover by Jam Najafi, who's an Iranian-American businessman. Uh, he's the chair of sports invest- investment company MSP Sports Capital. The Financial Times reports he is working with a consortium of investors to put together a bid for Spurs. It added he was weeks away from approaching. Well, see, this is where I call spoof. This is where I call spoof. I'm not having it. I'm not having that he's told you or you found out that he's weeks away from even approaching them, let alone making a bid. So, yeah, I'm calling spoof. Uh, I have officially added Alex Miller uh, to my list of spoofers. I've done a little bit of uh, digging while recording something else and uh, definitely a history of of spoofing. So we're going to put Alex Miller firmly on the spoofer list and we won't be taking any more attention or paying any more attention to what he has to say about takeovers of Premier League clubs. We will move to the championship. Um, we had we were, we were in the middle of a round of games. We had six games last night. There are another six games tonight. Last night, Sunderland came south and beat QPR 3-0 at Loftus Road. Luke 9 and two goals from Jack Clark. Uh, great to see Jack Clark doing so well. Super talented kid. Was really good at Leeds. Spurs bought him, went back on loan to Leeds, and Bielsa just shunned him for whatever reason. Went back to Spurs and it just never really worked out for him. He has gone to Sunderland and is playing a starring role in their promotion push. Norwich City 3, Hull City 1, Kieran Dowell, Gabriel Sara, and Josh Sargent with the goals after Jacob Greaves had given had given Hull a 1-0 lead in that one. Birmingham 0, Cardiff City 2, uh, Perry Nij, I think is how you say it, and Callum Robinson with the goals in that one. Two late goals, 85 and 84 and 95. Coventry 1, Millwall 0, Victor Giorquez, who is just far too good for the championship and needs a Premier League move this summer. 
Burnley won, Watford won. Jao Pedro scored for Watford after 32 minutes. A fairly calamitous mistake by Murich, the Burnley goalkeeper, who was then subbed off at half time because Vincent Company has no time for messing about. Michael Obafemi with a last minute equaliser for Burnley to keep them charging towards the Premier League. Reading two, Rotherham one. Lee Peltier put Rotherham one up, but Andy Carroll and Therese Forna with a last minute winner giving Reading the win. Tonight, Swansea take on Blackpool. Preston play Luton. Stoke play Huddersfield. Bristol play Wigan. Bristol City play Wigan Athletic. West Brom take on Blackburn Rovers. And the big one is Sheffield United versus Middlesbrough. The Chris Wilder derby, as it would be, that is second versus third in the league. Now, there is a 10-point gap between them. Sheffield United on 61 points, Borough on 51. Sheffield United also have a game in hand, so it's not like it's a close-run thing. But Borough under Michael Carrick, the turnaround has been sensational. Um, he, the company will probably run away with manager of the year for that division, but Michael Carrick deserves strong consideration. He took over on October 24th. On October 24th, Borough had played 16 league games. And after 16 league games, they were 21st in the league. They had been as low as 23rd. They'd spent multiple weeks in 22nd, multiple weeks in 21st. They lost their first game under Carrick and have only lost two since with 11 wins and one draw along the way, and they've risen from 21st up to third. We see this happen in the championship every so often. Dean Dean Smith, when he took over at um, Villa, they were like 17th or something under Steve Bruce, and he brought them up into the playoffs and then got them promoted. And Michael Carrick has done, what Michael Carrick has done is even more impressive because they were lower in the league, and they're now higher in the league than Villa ever got. But the, the run of form has been super impressive and their defeats were away to Burnley, who are running away with the league, and away to Sunderland in a local derby. And Sunderland are a playoff team and were above Borough, I think, at the time of that game. So all things considered, Carrick has done really, really well. And uh, the football that he has them playing is impressive as well. They did get walloped in the FA Cup by Brighton, but I don't think they really cared because their entire focus is on the league. Borough want to be a Premier League club. They have ambitions to be a Premier League club. Steve Gibson, since he took over at Middlesbrough, has always wanted them to be in the top flight. And, you know, he, he took over, I think, in... Was it 93? 94, he became club chairman and he'd taken over 90% of the club at that point. He built the new stadium. He brought them up. He hired big-name managers. He spent money on big-name players like Janino and Ravinelli and Emerson and many others across the years. He wants them in the Premier League. That's what he wants. Now, he doesn't have mega money to fund it from his own pockets, 
But if he can get them up, he will spend as much as he's capable of spending to keep them in the division. Looking at the division, you've got Burnley top on 69 points, eight points clear of Sheffield United, but they do have that game in hand. Then you've got Borough on 51, Luton on 49, Sunderland on 48, Watford on 47. So there's your playoff teams, Borough, Luton, Sunderland and Watford. Millwall on 46, and they have two games in hand on Watford. So Millwall could well be considered a playoff team. And obviously they are um, coming off the, the, the loss against Coventry, but they're well positioned to to make a run here. Uh, Norwich then on 45, Blackburn on 45. They've unfortunately discovered the draw, having successfully gone 27 games without a draw. They've now drawn three in a row and they've plummeted out of the playoffs to ninth place. Uh, then you get West Brom on 44. Another remarkable turnaround. They were, I think, bottom of the league when Carlos Corbron took over from Steve Bruce. And uh, now they sit in 10th. And that's after two defeats in the last three. They were uh, challenging the playoff teams. And then they're still well positioned. I mean, when you've got seven points separating third and 10th, tells you how tight things are there. A lot of football still to be played in the... Uh, championship this year. You've got Coventry on 42 points. They've turned things around really well after a bad start to the season. Hull City on 41 points in 12th. Reading on 41. Preston on 40. Bristol City on 39. Swansea on 39. QPR on 39. Their season's really fallen apart. The whole Michael Beale fiasco. Uh, things haven't gone well under Neil Critchley. Then you've got Birmingham on 38 points, Stoke on 34. I mean, you'd really look at it and say anybody from Birmingham. Now, not Birmingham, not QPR, not Swansea, because those teams aren't good enough, not consistent enough. Consistent enough. But points-wise, points-wise, they're only nine points out of the playoffs with 15 games left. Like, there could be someone that could make a late run. It's just a shame it's those clubs that are there. But Bristol, who've won three of the last four, are unbeaten in the last five. They're starting to put a little something together. Now, I don't think they'll they'll get the playoff spot, but they could they could make a little late, late uh, surge at it. Then you get Stoke on 34 points. These are the teams that are relegation trend. Stoke on 34, Rotherham on 33, Cardiff on 32, Wigan on 29, Huddersfield on 28, and Blackpool on 28. It is worth noting that Cardiff have played 32 games, Rotherham 31, and everybody else has only played 30. So if I was Cardiff, I'd probably be looking a little bit uncomfortable right now. Uh, Moving on to League One, we had a full round of games last night. Exeter nil, Shrewsbury nil, Fleetwood Town one, Peterborough nil. Portsmouth 1, Burton Albion 0. Forest Green 0, Charlton Athletic 1. Cambridge United 1, Cheltenham 2. Sheffield Wednesday 3, Morecambe 0. Bolton Wanderers 5, MK Dons 0. 
Accrington Stanley nil, Wigan Wanderers two, Bristol Rovers nil, Ipswich Town nil, Port Vale one, Barnsley three, Derby County one, Lincoln City one, and then Oxford United one, Plymouth Argyle three. Plymouth are top, 67 points, two ahead of Sheffield Wednesday, but Wednesday do have a game in hand. It's a six-point gap then to Bolton, who are in third on 59. Ipswich have 57, but they do have a game in hand on Bolton. Derby are fifth on 54. They have a game in hand on Ipswich and two in hand on Bolton. Then you get Barnsley, who've got three games in hand on Bolton on 53 points. Um, that is the the playoffs, the playoff places right now. Then it's Wickham on 50, Shrewsbury 48, Peterborough 44, Portsmouth 41, Charlton 40, Exeter 39, Lincoln 38, Bristol Rovers 38. They stopped a bit of a rot. They'd lost uh, four in a row. They got a draw last night. Port Vale on 37, Oxford United on 36, Fleetwood on 35, Cheltenham on 35, Burton Albion on 31, MK Dons on 29, and there are four teams relegated from this division. Those right now would be Morecambe, Accrington Stanley, Cambridge United, and Forest Green under Duncan Disorderly, Duncan Ferguson, uh, who was a rather bizarre appointment for that job, given he had no experience, he'd been interim manager uh, at Everton for a total of five games across two spells. Uh, four games as far as screen manager, one draw, three defeats. I don't think you can put too much of it on his plate, though. They were in a mess before he got there. Um, I think realistically, you would say anyone from Cheltenham down, still at risk of relegation. And I think... Shrewsbury and Wickham are the two most likely to jump into the playoff spots. There's a lot of teams in good form there. Like Bolton have won five in a row. Sheffield United have won four and drawn drawn one in the last five. Barnsley the same. Uh, Wickham have won four in a row. Shrewsbury, four wins and a draw in their last five. There's a lot of teams in good form in the in League One. And um, it's shaping up to be a good title battle between... Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday. In League Two, we had a full round of games last night. Bradford City 2, Tranmere 0. Newport County 2, Stevenage 2. Stockport 2, Crawley Town 1. Gillingham 2, Grimsby Town 1. Sutton United 2, Swindon Town 1. Paul Sterrett, devastated for you, son. Doncaster 1, Barrow 0. Carlisle 0, Mansfield 4. Big away win. Leighton Orient 2, Rochdale 1, Crew Alexandra 2, Hartlepool 0, Salford City 1, Harrogate 1, Cheetahs Never Prosper, Gary Neville, uh, Colchester 0, Walsall 0, and Northampton Town 0, AFC Wimbledon 0. Leighton Orient are top, 10 points clear. Now, Stevenage are second, 10 points behind, but with three games in hand. Now, last night's um, draw with Newport obviously doesn't help, especially considering they would have expected to win that game with Newport being down in 18th. It's a poor result for Stevenage, but they can close that gap 
quite considerably, but they're in really bad form. Stephen had only won one of their last five games, three draws, one defeat. Uh, then you've got Carlisle in third on 52. Now, it is three automatic promotion spots here. So those would be the three right now. Northampton are level on points with Carlisle with the game in hand, so they're in good shape. Mansfield, Salford and Stockport make up the playoff spots there. Um, Bradford level on points with Stockport one place out of it, but they have a game in hand. And both of those teams have games in hand on Salford. So Salford are the one potentially at risk of dropping out of the playoff spots. Then you get uh, Doncaster in ninth on 46, Sutton in 10th on 44, Swindon 11th on 42, Tranmere on 41, AFC Wimbledon 41, Barrow 41, Walsall, Colchester, Walsall on 40, then a five-point drop to Colchester, through on the same points as Colchester, then Newport County, Grimsby, both on 33, Harrogate on 28, Gillingham on 27, Crowley 26, Hartlepool 26, and Rochdale 21 points and looking destined for a spot in non-league. Gillingham, to their credit, have massively turned things around. Maybe that cup run did them some good, but they are now on 21st. They've won three of their last five. They've taken 10 points from the last five, having only taken 17 points from the previous 24 games. So that's a decent turnaround there. And we will jump in and do the National League. They had uh, games last night as well. Not a full slate, but we had um, games made up from weeks where things were cancelled. Oldham Athletic 2, Gateshead 2. Boreham Wood 1, Solihull Moors 1, Notts County 4, Barnet 1, Southend 2, Halifax 1, Dagenham and Redbridge 0, Eastley 1, Aldershot 1, Chesterfield 1, Altrincham 1, Bromley 2, and Wrexham 2, Woking 2. Uh, I think Wrexham probably disappointed with that, but Maybe their exploits in the cup have uh, taken a bit from their legs. Get the table up here. And Notts County have opened a five-point gap at the top of the league. But Wrexham do have two games in hand to claw that back. It is very much a two-horse race in this division. Behind Wrexham, there's a 14-point gap to Woking. Then you get Chesterfield, Barnet, Southend, Boreham Wood, Bromley, Eastleigh, Dagenham and Redbridge, Wheelstone, Solihull Moors, Aldershot, Altrincham, Halifax, Maidenhead, Yeovil, York, Oldham, Dorking, Gateshead, Torquay, Scunthorpe and Maidstone. Not a particularly good season for any of those at the bottom down there. Uh, we might just quickly take a little perusal of the European leagues while we're doing the rounds. Uh, in France at the weekend, Nice beat Ajeco 3-0. Monaco beat PSG 3-1 in a notable game. Golovin put them one up. Vignetter made it two. Warren Zaire Emery, 16 years of age, dragged PSG back into it a little bit. 
But Bignetta made a 3-1 just before half-time, and that was all she wrote. Uh, Claremont foot nil, Marseille 2. Alexis Sanchez with both goals there. Um, Toulouse 3, Rennes 1. Disastrous performance by Rennes. Toulouse were excellent on the day. Lille 2, Strasbourg 0. Jonathan David with two goals in that one. Montpellier 3, Brest 0. Big win for Montpellier. Angers 1, Auxerre 1. Reims 4, Troyes 0. Following Balogun with yet another goal. Jens Kajust, people might remember him from when he was at Mithiland, really good midfielder. He got a goal there as well. Uh, Nantes 1, Laurent 0. And Leon 2, Len 1. Alex Lacazette with the opener. Machado equalized. Rayan Cherky with the winner for Leon. That leaves the French table looking like so. PSG top, five points clear of Marseille. Monaco and Len making up the Champions League positions. Then it goes Lille, Rennes, Nice, Laurent, Leon, and Reims to make out the top half. Toulouse, Clermont, Nantes, Montpellier, Brest, Troyes, Strasbourg, running us to 17th. And then it's Ajeco, Auxerre, and Angers. Auxerre and Angers as the bottom three. Angers look doomed. They're eight points from safety with a negative 15 uh, goal differential between them and Strasbourg. Strasbourg are minus 14. Angers are minus 29, which is pretty disastrous for them. Um, yeah, all things considered, the bottom of the league, probably, you're probably looking at Brest, Troy, Strasbourg, Ajeco, and Auxerre. Two from that five to go down, joining uh, Angers at the top. The top kind of looks like it's taken the shape it's going to take. Now, there's still 15 games to go. So Lille, Rennes, one of them could jump back into the top four. But as things stand, Lens have a six, uh, Lens have a, a five point lead over Leon. They did sell important players though. So we'll wait and see. But as things stand, PSG are going to win the league. It looks like it'll be Marseille, Monaco and Lens. Uh, we'll go to Portugal next, where at the weekend we had a big tie between sporting and Porto, but we'll start with Vesela nil, Chavez nil, Arauco one, Santa Clara nil, Vitoria one, Porto Menens nil, Familia nil, Gil Valencia, Gil Vicente one, Sporting one, Porto two, and Matthias Uribe scoring on 60, Pepe on 94, and then Yusuf Chermetti, who's a name to watch, 18 year old Portuguese striker, big unit of a fellow, super talented. Uh, he scored on 97 to put a bit of respectability on the scoreline. Uh, Maritimo won Braga 2. Good win there for Braga away from home. Rio Ave 2, Estoril 0, and Boa Vista 0, Casapio 1. Sorry, Casapio 0. Um, Benfica are top. Five points clear of Porto. Braga are third, two points behind Porto. Sporting sit fourth, currently missing out on Champions League football. Uh, Vitoria, Casapia, Arauco, Chavez, Boavista, 
Fisella, Rio Ave, Porto Menens, Estoril, Gil Vicente, Familiqueau, Santa Clara, Maritimo and Pacos Ferreira at the bottom of the league. Um, it's shaping up to potentially be a decent decent title fight between Benfica and Porto, but Benfica do look a class above, it must be said. Everybody there has played 20 games, as with France. They just have their shit together. Those leagues are well organised. I know there's some mad stuff that goes on in those leagues, but at least they've all played the same number of games. We'll go to La Liga, where we've had um, a decent round of games this weekend. Cadiz 2, Girona 0 on Friday night. Almeria 2, Real Betis 3. Sevilla 2, Mallorca 0. Big win for Sevilla, who are starting to turn things around. Yusuf N. Naziri and Brian Hill with the goals there. Valencia 1, Athletic Club 2. Nico Williams and Ohan Sanset with the goals there. Hitafe 1, Rayo Vallecano 1. Celta Vigo nil, Atletico Madrid won. Memphis Depay with an 89th minute winner there for 10 man. Atleti, Stefan Savage sent off on 70. Rio Valle, uh, sorry, Valladolid nil, Osasuna nil. Villarreal nil, Barcelona won. Uh, Pedri with the only goal of the game there. Espanyol two, Real Sociedad three in what was the game of the weekend. It really did look like Saucy that were going to blow a 3-0 lead. It really did. They were just all over the place for the last 25 minutes of that one. Tonight we get Elche away to, well, Real Madrid at home to Elche. Um, Real would be expected to win that comfortably. Barcelona are currently 11 points clear of Real, but if Real win that, it will bring the gap to eight points. Um, as things stand, Barca 56, Real 45, Sociedad 42, Atleti 38, Betis 34, Vallecano 33. Huge overperformance from them this season. Athletic Club 32, Villarreal 31, Osasuna 30, Mallorca 28. That's the top half of the league. Girona on 24, Sevilla on 24. Three wins from their last four games has completely changed their season. And they've gone from bottom three to mid-table. Now, it's very condensed here. They're on 24 points in 12th. Valladolid are on 24 points in 13th. Celta Vigo, 23 points. Almeria, 22. Cadiz, 22. Espanyol, 21. They're 17th. Valencia dropping into the relegation spots. Ruben Baraka, former... Valencia star midfielder appointed now as the new manager, but four defeats in a row and trending the wrong way. Hitafe on 19 are 19th, and then Elche are bottom. They're the team playing Real tonight. They will probably get beaten. Uh, but then everybody will have played 21 games. So also a league that has their act together. Let's move to Germany. And again, of course, the Germans very efficient. Everybody's played 20 games here. At the weekend, we got Schalke nil, Wolfsburg nil, Werder Bremen nil, Borussia Dortmund two, uh, Jamie Beno Gittens with the first former Man City Reading and I think Chelsea youngster 
uh, only 17 or 18, super talented. Julian Brand with the second in that one. Mines three, Augsburg one. Bayern three, Bochum nil. Thomas Muller, Kingsley Coleman, and a Serge Nabry penalty. Hoffenheim one, Leverkusen three. Xabi Alonso doing bits with that Leverkusen team. Musa Diaby among the scorers in that one. Freiburg two, Stuttgart one. Good win for Freiburg. Uh, Leipzig won Union, uh, Union Berlin 2 massive win for Union away from home especially when they went 1-0 behind to a Benjamin Henrik's goal on 24 uh, Haberer scored on 61 Robin Nosh with a penalty on 72 to give them a big victory Hertha Berlin 4 Gladbach 1 massive win for Hertha who've been absolute catastrophe for most of the season and Cologne 3 Eintracht 0 that's one of the surprises of the weekend so table looks as follows Bayern are top one point ahead of Union Berlin Dortmund then on 40 two points behind Union Freiburg on 37 Leipzig on 36 Eintracht on 35 then a five point gap to Wolfsburg climbing the table Bayer Leverkusen up to eighth place 27 points Probably not going to catch the Champions League teams, but could potentially potentially find their way into maybe the Conference League or something for next year. Uh, Werder Bremen on 27 points, same as Leverkusen, but not trending in the same direction. Gladbach having a mess of a season. They're in 10th. Kelowna 11th, Mainz 13th, Mainz 12th, Oldsburg 13th. Hoffenheim 14th, Bochum 15th, Hertha Berlin 16th. They'd lost four in a row. They finally got a win. Huge for them. Stuttgart 17th and Schalke, unfortunately, bottom of the table, staring at a return to uh, the second Bundesliga. We will finish off this adventure in Serie A, where again, everybody has played the same amount of games. It is only the Premier League that can't get this stuff right. Milan won, Torino nil. Uh, Oli Giroud with the only goal. That was Friday night. Empoli two, Spezia two. Lecce won, Roma won. Um, bad result for Mourinho's Roma, who are in the Champions League places, but really could have done with beating a Fairly poor Lecce team uh, in that one. Lazio nil, Atalanta two. Good away win there for Atalanta. Udinese two, Sassuolo two. Uh, no, Destiny Adoji owned by Spurs, scoring in that one. Bologna nil, Monza one. Monza really have turned the season around. They they look like they were destined for a return to Serie B, but they've turned things around quite well. Juventus won Fiorentina nil. Adrian Rabio with the only goal of the game for crisis hit. Juventus, Napoli three, Cremonese nil. Kavicha, Osman and Elif Elmas with the goals there. Verona won Salonatana nil. And Sampdoria nil, Inter nil. That was a fairly disastrous result for Inter. When we look at the table, Napoli are 15 points clear. 59 points from 22 games, only the one defeat all season. Inter are second on 44 points. Then it's a three-point gap to Atalanta, Roma and Milan. 
And that's why that result was poor for Roma. They could have given themselves a little bit of breathing room. Uh, Lazio are sixth, Torino seventh. There's a nine-point gap from Lazio to Torino. So if the Champions League places are not going to go to, say, Atalanta and Roma, Milan and Lazio are the only teams really that are likely to do anything to take them off them. Uh, Torino on on 30, Udinese on 30, Juventus in ninth on 29 points. Remember, they were docked 15 points. Otherwise, they would be second on goal difference. Monza on 29, Bologna on 29, Empoli on 27, Lecce on 24, Fiorentina 24, Sassuolo 24, Sanatana on 21, Spezia on 19, and the bottom three are Verona on 17, Sampdoria on 11, looking likely for a trip to Serie B and Cremonese on eight points, still haven't won this season. That is quite the effort after 22 games. You haven't even fluked your way into a victory and uh, in worse news for Sampdoria, they look like going down and Genoa look a decent bet to come up, not as Serie B winners. Uh, known are going to run away with the lead to 12 points clear, but Genoa looking a good bet to finish second and come up. Uh, we might as well, I suppose, finish off with the, the old Scottish Premiership and uh, just check in with just how brilliant uh, my beloved Celtic are, well, there was no games at the weekend because it was a cup weekend, but as things stand, the table sits with Celtic on 70 points, nine points clear of Rangers, who are 19 points clear of Hearts. Then it's Livingston, then Hibernian, St. Mirren, Aberdeen, St. Johnston, Kilmarnock, Ross County, Motherwell and Dundee United, but it's quite tight down at the bottom. And you could see anyone of Kilmarnock, Ross County, Motherwell or Dundee United going down. And that will do us for our roundup of other leagues. Like I said, there's some good football on tonight. I think the Dortmund-Chelsea game is interesting because Chelsea's form has been so poor. The Bruges-Benfica game is always interesting just to see what interesting players are out there. But Arsenal versus City is the game of the night without question. We'll do the gossip and get gone. Manchester United are considering a move for Tammy Abraham. Do you know what? Snobs will look down their nose at that. That is a move that makes sense. He fits well. If you think of what Sebastian Hallard did for Ajax under Ten Hag, Tammy would be a good fit. Chelsea are ready to join the race to sign Jude Bellingham, despite spending more than £600 in the past two transfer windows. Someone needs to have a little word with Todd Bowley. The Emir of Qatar is expected to make a bid of more than four billion for Manchester United by Friday's deadline. Uh, we'll wait and see if that happens. Leicester have stepped up contract talks with James Madison. I just don't see any chance that he resigns there. Spain forward Anzu Fati has no intention of leaving Barcelona. Didn't think he would have. Arsenal have reignited their interest in Latura Martinez. It's from Football Insider, so you know, put it to the nearest toilet. Uh, Tottenham are exploring a summer move for Yassine Bono, the goalkeeper of Sevilla. I just don't think he's the type of goalkeeper you want to move for. Uh, Aston Villa are expecting offers for Emiliano Martinez this summer. If I was Spurs, that's probably who I'd look at. Uh, Brazil forward Rodrigo says he has an agreement in place, said he had an agreement in place with Barcelona before joining Real Madrid. 
He made the right move. Fenerbahce are interested in signing Mason Greenwood. I'll be really interested to see what happens with Greenwood because I don't think there's any chance he ever plays for Manchester United or England again. I think he might become somewhat of a prior within England, obviously. But he's got a contract till 2025. Are United just going to let him go? Will they will They try and get a fee from him? I think you have to let him go, really, don't you? Leeds would have to pay Al-Hitad about $5.3 million in compensation to bring Nuno Espirito Santo to Allen Road. If Nuno hasn't put a release clause in that contract to allow him to go and take jobs in top five leagues, then he's an idiot. And I take back what I said about Southampton should take him. Manchester United have an active interest in Spanish fullback Ivan Fresneda. It seems like every club has an interest in him. Atletico Paranins have turned in an offer from Barcelona and two other clubs for Vitor Roque, who is a reported target for Arsenal. Looks looks the real deal. He really does look the real deal. Um, Very, very impressive from the bits and pieces I've seen. Stunning in the recent under-20 tournament and performing well in the Brazilian Serie A for the last couple of seasons as well. Um, He was in Serie B with uh, Cruzeiro, but last season with... um, with Paranins, he was seven goals in 36 games across all comps, five and 29 in the league. Like, they're not starts. They're spot appearances, bench appearances, the odd start. That's very impressive. Uh, 11 and six for Cruzeiro the previous season. Now, three of them came in eight state league games, which is not as competitive as the National League, but still a decent level of competition. Uh, that kid does look the business. He really does. Uh, that'll do me for today, folks. Thanks as always, and I will see you tomorrow. Send in any questions on Twitter, in Discord, or to Guy, and uh, we'll get them done tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.